Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live. I am your host Viz, and tonight we have three very special guests. We have stars Mihari Calvi, Mike Beckenham, and director Paul Dudbridge from the upcoming film Fear the Invisible Man, which is coming to DVD and streaming on demand Tuesday, June 13th. Uh, thank you guys for being our guests. Congratulations on this film. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to us sort of breaking it down a little bit and getting into the nitty gritty today. And I want to start with Paul. Paul, you are the director. Uh, Fear the Invisible Man is set in 1897. As, the, as a director, what kind of challenges do you face not only doing a period piece, but a science fiction period piece. Well, first of all, love you to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, well, the challenge is, I think, um, well, first and foremost, it was always about story, just making sure that the story played and and it was accurate um, to that, you know, in that regard. Um, but um, a lot of the challenges were actually, you know, sort of just visuals, like making sure that, you know, everything was, you know, there was no light switches in the shots or in cars and all that kind of stuff in the background and all that kind of thing just making sure that all that period detail was there um and then just sort you know just working with the art department to make sure we had all the correct props for the period and, and things like that so you kind of you got one eye on the story but one eye on all of the lot of the visuals that you know on a, in a contemporary film you kind of take for granted but yeah. actually on a period thing it's like what is over the actor's shoulder there can we see something new can we see a light switch can we see something that shouldn't be there um that prop that they're using was that around at the time did we think it was around but actually you know it wasn't and we just have to do a little bit more research than you would do for a contemporary film yeah of course now mahari you play uh the widow adeline uh who has no uh shortage of suitors um after her <laughs> Now, do you view Adeline as a naive character who wants to help the helpless? Uh, or do you see her as a strong woman who has been underestimated her whole life? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the My show. Um, the, uh, the character of Adeline is really layered, which is what I loved about her. Um, she's very strong. She's... Um, a woman before her time and she's incredibly independent um, and she's just not able to express herself in any way so I mean everything about that society at the time women had no voice they they couldn't work they couldn't express themselves um, and she was someone who was highly academic yeah uh, very determined, very passionate. Um, so even the costume helped with all of that because I was so suppressed in the corset and everything. It helped with the performance um, that she was held back in every single way. Yes, I totally agree. Now, Mike, you are the hey. invisible man. I mean, wow, how cool is that? I mean, you can see me now, right? Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> okay. we see you um, front and center. Now, as the invisible like... man, uh, obviously you get limited screen time, okay? It's a lot of voiceover work. Did you approach playing this character uh, the same way you would doing a voiceover character? What was your approach to playing Griffin? Yeah, he, um, it's a really good question. And again, thanks so much for having us on, as, as the guys have said. Um, 
Yeah, Griffin was was different. I've done I've done a character before of just uh, a voice. He was a CGI character in another movie. But what was different was that I was on set reading the lines in um, for the for the other actors. Whereas with this process, uh, me and Paul shut ourselves away in a sound studio for I think eight hours and did the whole movie in one day. Wow! Um, and that was that was both that was a completely different style of of acting, of voice acting, a completely different approach to what I'd done before. Um, and I found it really liberating. It was kind of Paul is very much an actor's director. He allows you to play a little bit and which is which is fundamental when you're in that sort of environment. And and he'll be like, you know, why don't you try it this way? And then I'll be like, try it this way. And then, you know, it was just, it was just such a fun, fun experience. Um, yeah, it was, it was great and something completely new for me. So it was, yeah, it was so, so enjoyable. Now your character Griffin is a narcissistic alpha male. <laughs> I don't think many would argue with that once they see the film. <laughs> Do you think he had good intentions in regard to science when he first started on this quest to creating invisibility and then just became lustful of the power and was ultimately his downfall yeah i i, I yeah i think some of the some of the maybe worst ideas come from the best intentions i think he he certainly sets out with um with this idea i mean if you were if you were the person that was able to create invisibility, you know, you know, I never judge anyone unless I walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah. So you kind of think to yourself, if I was, if I was a creator of invisibility, and it grew and grew and grew, you know, where where would I go with it? And um, and it certainly brings that into question. I think certainly for the audience as to, you know, when you finish 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 watching the movie, it's like this guy. Do we like him? Don't we? Did he do the right thing? Yeah. You know, it's a lot of I think a lot of questions that that Griffin Griffin uh, presents for sure. You know, like the real world, this world is very great, very realistic, just like it is in the real world. Now, Paul, uh, the movie's based off an H.G. Wells novel that really comes through with the science fiction storytelling. Um, how important was it to you to stay true to the novel? Well, I think we uh, we had a first of all we had a great script by a writer Philip Day, and it was based on the novel, but he tweaked it obviously a little bit because in the novel, um, um, it's it's uh, not Adeline; it's her husband who's actually in the house, um, and um, in this one we flipped it around so. Um, he's Reginald, the husband is dead, and it's Adeline who's in the house, and, and we've introduced this past relationship between Griffin and Adeline. So there's a little bit of a romantic undercurrent there. So it's kind of based on it, but then we've just adapted it slightly, just so it's not completely, you know, kind of uh, um, a copy of the novel. It's yeah. there's a little bit of a, a slightly creative adaptation to it, and just turn it and, and having a female lead, obviously, just making it a little bit more different and bringing it up to date. Um, which is which was really appealing to me. And when I first read it, it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, please be good. I don't want to. I have to feel like I've got to do this, and 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 my heart's not in it because the script isn't there, and the script was there. Oh yeah. And it was a little bit obviously very ambitious, but um, yeah, I was really pleased with the with the structure and the dialogue and the story and the different layered characters, like Mike was saying earlier. You know, so I was pleased that it was a good script, really. Mahari, you know, we have to 
stand out of your performance. You did a brilliant job as Adelon. Oh, thank you. I mean, it, it was a difficult role to pull, pull off, and you did a fantastic job. Now, as an actor, uh, in this movie, you had to work off of somebody that was not physically there, and that's extremely difficult to do. So how did you approach that challenge? You didn't really have anybody to work off of. How did Paul help you? Did you guys brainstorm on some ideas to make it more authentic for you? Tell us about it. Well, I mean, I did about a month of prep before the actual shoot because I was cast really early on, like before anybody else was cast at all. So I had loads of prep time, which definitely helped. But about a month before filming, I just learned the entire script. I mean, every single bit of dialogue. So when I walked onto the set, I knew the entire 90 pages by heart, which definitely helps when you're playing against most of the time, no other actor. Yeah. Uh, we did have uh, a stand-in. So anytime you see the Invisible Man moving something or wearing a cloak, there was um, a stand-in for Mike. Um, but he was in a full green suit. So uh, he did a f fabulous job, Joe Trigger. He did a yeah. Awesome we got to give job. Joe a shout out. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because he was dressed in this bright green suit like a cucumber. Gumby. Um, and it looked hilarious. So if I wasn't playing against that which you know um was quite funny the first time round i was literally playing against nothing so i kind of decided to do it like i was just doing a really big audition tape because yeah. often with audition tapes you are acting against no one or mm -hmm. someone's reading lines in over the phone to you and stuff like that awesome. um so i just approached it that way now mike like we said the invisible man is a iconic character when you booked a role and you know you started to get serious as to how you were going to do this tell us some of the ideas that ran through your mind on how you pictured your invisible man to be yeah it's a, it's a really good question my um my take always on a character is, is how it first kind of comes to me when i read the script so when I read him or Red Griffin, I kind of, it just formulates ideas within my head. I actually stay away from sort of source materials because I don't like to try and replicate um, or emulate any of the brilliant actors that have, you know, have, 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 like you say, stepped into those invisible shoes. Or well, the shoes aren't invisible, actually, just the legs. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so it's, he kind of um, was there on the page for me, like, like Paul said, and uh, with the script, it was, it was there for me to just formulate and play with and and it was just a great it was a great experience but it was quite funny because when like um when we were in the sound studio that you're not going to believe just that basically two people did the whole visual effects on this film it's insane wow. right it yeah. blows my mind um but some of the visual effects scenes weren't finished when we were doing the voice uh for the visible for griffin so sometimes in the scenes I would see Joe in his in his lime green onesie outfit. And so I would be doing my lines while seeing somebody play the part of me whilst <laughs> it was very kind of yeah, it was it was it was quite a uh, like again, it was just such a such an interesting That's way of, of doing it and shooting it. That's crazy, man. Um, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. No, no, no. Uh, Mahari, there is a, a very pivotal scene in the movie where Inspector Addy asks you, which side are you on? 
You know, I think that's a pivotal moment for Adeline. In that moment, your character has to decide whether to continue supporting uh, an old friend or do what's right. Now, would you say that is her like moment of coming to the truth and really deciding on where she's going to go in regards to Griffin? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one thing that I loved about all the scenes is that there's so much conflict for her. So I was constantly playing to emotions at the same time, which just makes it more interesting as an actor. Um, but one of the things that I sort of thought about a lot during my sort of preparation was coercive abuse. Mm -hmm. And I felt very much like uh, up until that point, she then breaks free at that point. That's where she breaks free from the sort of coercive ab abuse that he's doing to her. And, and it's all very slowly happens throughout the film. Yeah, and um, for me at that moment, we see Adeline become a much more self-confident person, stronger, mm -hmm. and she's ready to take on this problem, which is Griffin. Paul, <laughs> uh, Adeline is facing financial problems in, in the film. She's a, she's a widow. Her husband, yeah. Reginald, passed away. We don't get to see him in the movie. Her house is close to being foreclosed on. How important is it uh, to the audience to understand the circumstances that Adeline is to for us to really get a sense of her character. Sorry, I... just say that again. Oh, sorry, you're talking to me or Vari, sorry. Paul, Paul, sorry. Yeah, uh, so yeah my there. apologies, my apologies. So, you know, <laughs> with Adeline going through all these financial problems, her house getting ready to be foreclosed on, and we really see that play out, how important is it uh, for us, the audience, as we're watching this and we're seeing this character in Adeline develop, how important is it to see her financial problems in relation to the character that we are seeing unfold? Well, I think it's really important because because the we start to get a sense of how she gets drawn into Griffin's plan because Griffin's giving her the option of, because Griffin, you know, a bit of a spoiler alert, but he, he robs the bank, yeah. as you would do if you were invisible. Um, yeah, he robs the bank, and he's he's, a, he's in a position to help Adeline out. And because of, there's a little bit of a connection between them anyway, she kind of slowly gets sort of drawn in, and you can see why she might want to be sort of not turn a blind eye but she kind of doesn't want to believe what's actually happening because it might help her out of her situation mm -hmm. and then uh, you know and th that crutch point halfway through where she realizes you know when Addie calls her on it and says you know which side you're on and she realizes that she has been manipulated and she has been kind of perhaps because of some old feelings you know that she had for him that she's been kind of you know wanting to believe that he's a good guy and that mm -hmm. there could be a good solution for both of them in it um and obviously it's gone too far by that point yeah yeah now mike uh can a person like griffin ever put his true love out of line before his own needs and ambitions or is his narcissistic side just will always prevent him to ever doing that I think that's sort of in a way what the film asks, I guess, you as the audience, you know, which which way would you go? Um, and I don't want to give too much away in regards to the movie. So but it's a it's a really good question. because I feel like when you're sat there again, you're thinking, would I would I 
do what he's doing mm-hmm. and is he doing it what what are it, has it has his intentions changed from from this incredible creation to then being in love or or, or um yeah so it's some that is certainly a question i hope that by the end of the movie the audience will fit will, will be asking themselves would i have done the same thing and um yeah and that's what i feel is is wonderful about this particular take on the characters i feel that that he is relatable in that in that regard and uh, like I say, we've all set out with with great intentions, and sometimes they change, and sometimes they don't. And yeah. um, you you kind of just go with it, you know. Mahari, I found myself as I was watching this movie, like putting myself in Adeline's position and saying, "Okay, this is what I would tell Griffin: I will help you as long as you use this power for good." Okay, I don't think she uh, maybe fully understands that she does have somewhat, some kind of power over Griffin. Do you think, um, you think she just doesn't understand that he still loves her, that he has feelings for her? Uh, do you think she just doesn't get that? Um, no, I think she does. I think it's more of a lust though that he has um, for her. Um, that, that maybe originally they had a romance and that it was love but at this point during a lot of the film especially more towards the end of it it's more of a lustful thing 